Uh, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, May the 10th. On this week's edition, we're going to talk about the city of Little Rock budget woes and drama, the firing of LRPD officer Charles Starks, and the future of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Okay. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Bradley. How about the future of the Arkansas Times? Let's, let's... That's going kind of, to be bonus content. All right. So late last year, the Little Rock City Board approved a $210 million city budget, which included a $7 million deficit. Earlier this week, Mayor Frank Scott presented the board with two options to amend that budget, one that would cut $5.3 million and another that would reduce city expenses by nearly $7.4 million. Uh, among the suggested cuts uh, included uh Reducing funding for the zoo, which would close it two days a week, uh, cutting half the subsidy to the Literary Chamber of Commerce, eliminating a whole bunch of Parks Department employees, and closing two golf courses. Uh, many, perhaps most, of these recommendations were were not well received by city board members. <laughs> to put it mildly, I think uh, it was... It was quite a show. I, if if you're a city government fan, and I kind of am, I it was astonishing to watch. Uh, Frank Scott was in his 30s, is young. He sees himself as a veteran of politics, having worked on Mike Beebe's staff. But there's a different brand at City Hall, and either he doesn't get it or he's just decided he's going to do it differently. And I, I, I think there's going to be some bruising times ahead. Uh in the course of the, of the discussion Tuesday night, apart from Irma Hendricks, who's 87 years old and a little wacky, who said, whatever the mayor says, I'm behind, uh, I don't think you could identify a single city board member who had anything positive to say about what the mayor outlined. And, and the problem went beyond the specifics, although there were some specifics. And it was that, number one, they hadn't been provided any advance notice of what the shape of the proposal was going to be. He entered the meeting seeming, they thought, to believe that they would simply choose A or B Tuesday night and vote and be done with it. Uh, and that was not going to happen because there are too many sacred cows in there to talk about. Uh, and then finally, both in his opening remarks and in his closing remarks, he first of all, I think fairly, reference that he was having to clean up a problem they created and 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 that gets to a second issue about who really to blame because the board acts on a budget based on recommendations from the the financial director and the city manager on what's going to be available and if they're getting bad information the board maybe the blame should go to those giving out the bad information not the board but in any event there, there's some fairness in that unhappiness but I think uh, he was viewed as being condescending to some veteran board members, Joan Adcock, Dean uh, Compuris, and others, and I don't think they took it very well. I don't think they were very happy with the mayor's tone. So uh, then all that happened, and so that was, and so they're going to meet again next week and talk further about it. I don't know if they'll be ready to make a vote next week or not. I mean, there's so many moving parts in this. Uh, you know, I, I think he recommended a cut in the Chamber of Commerce knowing the city board won't do it because they have so many supporters and he can score some points with people that think we shouldn't pay the Chamber of Commerce, which I happen to be one of those. Uh, but several directors 
commented about that. There are people like my brother-in-law, Kelly Bass, who operates a museum of discovery. It's a city-owned museum, uh, effectively. And uh, he got a commitment last year for, I don't know how much it was. It's not it's not a significant portion of their operating budget, but it's a part of it. And so he budgeted his year and who he's going to employ and what he's going to pay based on that. And then he gets the word five months into the year that a big chunk of it's going away. And he's, he's one of many. There's a health clinic in the same circumstance. There are feeding programs. There are all these things that are in the same. I use him because I know him, and so I don't, don't say he's more deserving than any of the others. Everybody's in the same boat. So this is going to be a hard process. But then something happened last night that kind of, I think, altered the dynamic even more. And Leslie Peacock, who was writing last night, got a call from one of her sources who said they'd given word to the War Memorial Golf Course that the people who worked there were going to be laid off and the course was going to be closed at the end of June. Well, that opened up a whole can of, number one, Somebody said that without the board having acted on the budget. I mean, that was a red flag to start with. Then the War Memorial Golf Course itself is kind of a special case because it's long been targeted for changes and for commercial development and feelings run strong about it in every single direction. And so anyway, Leslie's out today, and I began following up some of this and talking to some people at City Hall, and what what I found out was this – is that it is pretty clear that the director of parks went to War Memorial Golf Course and went to Heinemann Park Golf Course and went to a couple of dozen parks employees Tuesday before the city board meeting and said, you are losing your jobs and these facilities are going to be closed. And so I think Leslie's report was accurate insofar as the word was received by the people who were affected. Well, this, this blew up all over the place. First of all, with city directors who saying, what? You've made these decisions and we haven't voted yet? And I'm led to understand that the parks director made some calls this morning backing off of this, and then late this afternoon after a fairly testy exchange with Mayor Scott's uh, newly hired public relations assistant, the official position came that, why, yes, our, our department head's told their employees there were a possibility of job losses so as to prepare them. But, of course, no decisions are final until the board of directors votes. And and, and, and as, a, as a realistic matter, I think that statement becomes operative and true because it is true. If, if the board of directors decides to change course, maybe these things won't happen. But meanwhile, you've had a terrible week for a couple of dozen employees who thinks they're livelihood is going away and you know you just exhibited some really lead-footed politics uh furthermore city manager bruce moore is calling around city directors and talking to them one-on-one he insists not to gather votes on the budget uh some city directors have a different view of what he's up to and see it more as trying to sound them out on on how they'll vote on the on the mayor's budget proposals, which begins to run afoul of the Freedom of Information Act. The mayor himself cannot meet with these directors and talk about the budget without it being a legal meeting that requires public notice. And I, I know that he's been attempting to call them. And so in any event, but 
it, we got some pretty salty comments today from both Joan Adcock and Cappy Peck about the notion that decisions had been made without the board voting on it. So I, I just, you know, I think, I don't know. I, I do think Frank Scott is showing his youth and his newness. And, and although it didn't take a great deal of sophistication to understand he had to get five city board votes to pass anything. And, and as I've said before, he doesn't seem to be making a lot of overtures toward building governing consensus on the board. If anything, he seems to have, rather than making friends, been make, making enemies. And I, that's too strong a word probably, but creating some people who are not happy with him. And so that makes it, that makes it hard to govern. And so we'll just have to see. I, I, I don't, you know, it's a, it's a rocky start. But the, the, the bottom line is that they are going to have to cut the budget. And it won't be easy, and some people's sacred cows are going to get slaughtered. Right. And they approved this budget with a significant deficit late last year. So they Well, it wasn't approved with a deficit. It was approved with an expectation that more money was going to come in. And now they're acknowledging the reality that the money's not going to be there. It was a hopeful budget. It was an optimistic budget. It was pie in the sky. And, and and as I've said before, and I want to say again, there was a candidate for mayor, Baker Curris, who said there wasn't enough money coming in to pay for that budget. And, and, and there wasn't enough money to hire new police officers. And there's no money to hire body, to buy body cameras. And, and there are just a lot of problems. And, and that was, you know... It wasn't a sudden drop in city sales tax revenue. It has been failing to meet expectations for several years. This is a trend. So I don't think we ever got a clear expectation why two budget proposals um, were made. Well, and that's what Joan Adcock said. She said, what, and that's what Cappy Peck said, is what, what is, and, and why, why was maybe one to create maybe not so close or else to create a pile of money for him to spend maybe which uh, is another issue that popped up today the city directors while they're getting a lecture on budget cutting from the mayor he's hired three hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of city employees with more to come and there's some questions about how he's been spending his budget that as of yet he's been unwilling to provide information to show how well he's managing his own money and so and they're saying, what's this? I get to choose behind door number one or door number two. Why don't we just have a budget about a discussion about the entire budget and go down the list and decide what we're going to keep and what we're not going to keep? Well, there there are, aside from the politics, there are some really difficult choices that they're going to have to make in terms of what to cut. And, and their options are fairly limited. Well, they're limited. First of all, they have a contract with unions for firefighters and policemen. I mean, they're really off the table, and 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 they have they have union representation of some of the public works people, and part of the reason parks, which is already underfunded, got hammered, is because that's one department that doesn't have any protection, and so they can so they can slam it. So, I you know I, I the the reality is is if everybody thinks the city is operating okay now, and not everybody does. Uh, 
the only solution is to raise taxes if, if we want to keep what we've got. Now, and I think there are undoubtedly some jobs that could be cut at, at City Hall that are that are not service providers, but I, I suspect the number is is maybe not enough to make a big difference. The bigger concern is we're deferring maintenance. We're not we're not maintaining fleets and we're not maintaining buildings and we're paying people and we're 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 not doing stuff that's gonna cost us in the long run. Somebody today suggested to me something talking about sacred cows. We could we could cover this budget deficit easily if, for example, we went to the tech park and said, sorry, we promised you $20 million, but we can't give it. You're just going to have to make it on your own, and we're going to take that money and use it for operations. There's an idea. That's one. They could stop giving money to the port to buy land that they then give away to people and then don't get any money in return for and use it on operations instead. Uh, Those are two ideas I'd like to see talked about, but uh, the – those are talk about sacred cows of the business community. I mean, those are chamber of commerce babies, and as I say, I don't expect the chamber of commerce to lose their three hundred thousand, much less Dixon Flakes Memorial Tech Park or Brian Day's Memorial Port. So, all right, well, m- much more to talk about there, but but let's move on. Uh, so earlier this week, Little Rock police officer Charles Starks, who fatally shot Bradley Blackshire after trying to stop him to investigate a stolen car was fired by new police chief Keith Humphrey. Yeah, and in a sense it wasn't a surprise uh, because the police chief was picked by the mayor and the mayor has been agitating for action in, in response to the Blackshire killing, although he disputes that he had any influence on, on the chief. I don't. I simply don't believe that. Uh, and the problem was is that in the chain of command, a sergeant, a lieutenant, a captain, and an assistant police chief, who, by the way, happens to be African-American, all said uh, that Starks was justified in taking the actions he took in shooting uh, Bradley Blackshear. Uh, it's funny. I was reading an interesting story on Vox today about the standard defense that has developed for police officers nationwide and the use of deadly force. And it's just almost unassailable. And, and, and that is if you can demonstrate you had reason to believe you were in danger, you're justified in shooting. And I, I think I said on this podcast at least once before, probably several times before that I didn't expect charges to be filed against Starks in this case because of the circumstances that we knew existed, including demonstrated on videotape. And that is, Blackshear was driving a car. It was in motion. He had refused an officer's command. He was driving the car in the direction of the officer. The officer got bumped. Uh, A witness who was with Blackshear said he was reaching for his pocket. The officer acted within the span of less than two seconds in the real meat of the confrontation, decided he was in danger, jumped in front of the car. He says to defend himself by getting an engine block between him and a potential weapon, fired and killed the driver. In that circumstance, the benefit of the doubt is going to go with the officer. He demonstrated these elements that I think, if not beyond a reasonable doubt or some reasonable doubt, 
uh, are justifiable to shoot. And so the prosecutor cleared him of criminal charges. And every line officer who reviewed the situation said the same thing. The chief said he was in violation of a rule that says you're not supposed to fire, get in front of a car. Uh, and and fire and use deadly force if there's a way to extricate yourself, which, you know, maybe, maybe you're not supposed to voluntarily put yourself in front of a car. Well, that voluntarily, I mean, I, I think you're reacting in the split second to a variety of threats you're assessing. Uh, and, and I thought the prosecutor said one thing that was important, which is, yes, Starks had had... <coughs> some incidents he'd had some complaints against him rudeness or whatever he'd had one fight off duty in a theater parking lot you know wasn't but he'd never used deadly force before never shot anybody before so this wasn't a case where he said well here he goes again you know looking for an excuse to shoot somebody and this was the first time he'd used it in five years i think on the force so it's a tough case and i and i i i i i wouldn't argue with those who said he's could be fired under the circumstances. I think he had a record that gave some cause for doubt about his judgment and abilities on the street, but I don't know. So in, in any event, it happened, and, and now it goes to a Civil Service Commission appeal. I would I would not be surprised that the Civil Service Commission reinstated him. And then what then becomes a real test for the mayor. Uh, he is at this point said, I'm not going to express an opinion because he's in the appeals process. Uh, I, I have absolutely reliable sources who say he was very mad that he wasn't prosecuted and that he wanted him fired. <clears throat> they wanted him prosecuted for that matter. Uh, he, he disputes that. I, I stand by the sources who told me what they've told me. But he's now going to face a moment, if Starks is restored to a job, then what? How do you react? I think he will say that he's tried to get the Justice Department to use to look at use of force by the Little Rock police. <laughs> Under this Justice Department, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just don't know. I think it's going to be really important, though, because the mayor, whatever he can or can't do officially, what he says and does will be incredibly important about how the community reacts and how the people who've had some protests about Blackshear's killing react. And, you know, they, that is a group that scared the bejesus out of the state Capitol Police so much they shut the Capitol down and put snipers on the roof. So, I mean, there, there, there are sensitive feelings out there, and this is— What we talked about before was just absolutely ridiculous. It was it was nuts, but there— but, but, but there was that one Facebook video of a guy making provocative remarks. And in today's day and time, with guns, it only takes one person encouraged by the wrong word to say and do some really stupid stuff. And so, I mean, as I say, I, I, I think it is a situation that is not over and that requires just the highest degree of sensitivity and care in everything you say and do. Yeah. Well, Which the, is kind of the, like literate, the, hobbies, the Civil Service Commission has um, has frequently overturned. Yes. They they ha- they're they're an appointed body and they go through different permutations. But my wife was once on the Little Rock Civil Service Commission, believe it or not, and and so they go through different permutations. But but I think it is fair to say they generally 
have consisted of people who have a sympathetic view of, of people in service. I don't, don't mean that they clear them without exception, but there have been some pretty egregious cases where guys were put back to work with minor suspensions after doing some pretty ugly stuff. And, and, and as I say, I don't know where the current roster stands on them versus then, but, uh, but also, I mean, I think, I think, you know, this cop is going to present four officers who've worked with him for years with, as Robert Newcomb, his attorney said, a combined hundred years of police experience. You say, can't find fault with what he did. Yeah. And if he loses a civil service hearing, he can always appeal to circuit he can, court. He so. can then go to circuit court and argue that it was an arbitrary decision. I think it's unlikely he stays fired. Well, let's move on to a final topic. The Arkansas Democrat Gazette began its 200-day celebration of the 200th anniversary of the Arkansas Gazette on Sunday. It which, also, which it isn't, by the way. It, <laughs> it also featured a big story on Democrat Gazette publisher Walter Hussman on the paper's uncertain future. Well, it was pretty. I don't think you had to look far between the lines in Rachel O'Neill's profile of Walter Hussman to see a day when the Arkansas Democrat, six days a week, is a digital newspaper, that it's not on paper and dropped on a doorstep. That's already the case in probably half the counties in Arkansas, some as close as White County. The Sunday paper is still viewed as a potential moneymaker for print advertising, although the article was interesting in noting the big moneymaker of inserts isn't as big a moneymaker as it used to be. Hussman said they're losing money. He's invested millions of dollars, $12 million by one account in iPads to convert people to digital subscriptions. He says he needs to have a 70% conversion rate of people who are taking the paper paper going to digital to uh, survive. And, you know, I'm a believer in newspapers, but I'm almost 69 years old. So there's that. (laughs) And I, boy, I think he's facing a tough uphill climb. And by the way, I, I like his digital edition. The beauty of it is, is you get on your iPad, the print edition of the paper in digital form. You do wonder if they don't print it anymore, why will they go to that trouble since there isn't a paper paper anymore? But uh, is there the subscription costs $400 a year. That's a lot of money. I, I saw an exchange with Nate Bell, the irascible state legislator, saying, I'm just not going to do it. I own an iPad. I'm not going to pay $400 for something that I can get from the Washington Post and New York Times for $100. And they said, well, they don't have the local obits, true. But he said, you know, I'm just, I mean, it's just a market thing. I'm not going to do it. Then there are people that don't have Wi-Fi, and you really need Wi-Fi access to get the digital edition. Or And people are migrating to cell phone use, which sometimes have data plans. And, and so people might want not want to waste their data on downloading the newspaper. So I just think there's some really difficult economic decisions there that uh, – that, that, I mean, I, I'm not surprised that employees of the Democrat are nervous about the future because, I mean, to his credit, he's invested more in the size of the paper and in staff than a number of bigger papers around the country. And in his belief that, that investing in that would be a good business, that it would be, A, the right thing to do, but be a good business decision. Well, They've had to continue to have layoffs. They've continued to lose advertising. They've continued to lose circulation. And no knock on them. That's the case with everybody. Uh, 
And so, boy, I just, I mean, I just despair of the industry apart from the, the local consideration. It's just, uh, Facebook and Amazon and Google and, and, and the, 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 the classified ad guy who's Craigslist, Craigslist, all of those things have just belt, dealt one body blow after another to the print publishing industry. And I, nobody has yet. Walter Hussman seems to think he's the one guy that has the answer of going to this digital route. And even the New York Times, which has had more success than anybody because it has this incredible product that it can sell worthwhile worldwide, you know, it's it can pay for its staff, its news staff, with its circulation revenue, but you've got other aspects that cost money. It's just a, it's a hard, I, I'm sure he's run every analysis on it and has an idea and a plan and good, good luck to him. I mean, we're, we're on a much smaller scale in the same boat and adjusting and making changes to, to, for us to continue. And part of it's a big, big switch to digital with fewer print public print editions. I mean, we've kind of done the same thing in miniature actually. Right. Uh, of course, we, though this change has meant a significant savings in, in printing and distribution costs, that's that's never been, um, you know, our, we haven't had the same weight of expenses that a daily paper does in terms of printing and distribution. No, for one thing, we don't own a printing press, thank, thank goodness. And the notion that they might go to just one day a week printing the paper makes that sort of hard to deal that doesn't with. sound efficient on the face of it but i don't fully understand it i mean maybe they you know they employ they won't need as many printers that's for sure so i mean maybe they'll be happy to work one day a week i don't i don't know yeah or two i mean you might print some advance some advanced sections one day and then the rest of it the next day i don't know it's been a while since i've looked at the digital replica on an ipad but are you doing a lot of scrunching with your fingers a lot of Zooming in and zooming out. I guess you'd have to. You oh yeah, yeah. But it, it's it it you know and and the iPad he's selling is a big old one. It's almost as big as a page and not a newspaper page, but I mean a full page of type. And and it listen, it's it's a good system. You can tap on a story and it'll blow that whole story up, including the jump. If it's a story on page one that jumps, it's a it's a good system. I mean it, it works. I I. I could live with, I prefer the paper edition just because it's easier, but I, I use it a lot traveling because I travel a lot. And so I read it on the iPad and except for, and, and if you're overseas, the download can be a problem and that's an issue. But once you've got it, it's a pretty easy reading thing. It's just not bad. One of the problems is, is, is content. They do have local content. They've got something that the New York Times has, you know, a stable of incredible writers and coverage that they can sell. What what the local newspaper has is local news, and that means high school scores and obits. Well, you know, a lot of that stuff, there's starting to be alternatives to obtain that locally, too. And a statewide newspaper, which the Democrat Gazette tries to be, actually kind of fails in a sense with some readers. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many Little Rock readers, and I'm sometimes one of them, pick up the paper and say, well, the only datelines in here are from Bentonville. I don't care about Bentonville. I care about Little Rock. And so you might have a story from Smackover once a month, but 
that's not enough to keep a smack over reader because you might have a smack over obit that day or you might cover a shooting and smack over. So it's kind of, it's very hard to be all things to all people if your niche is local news because there's an awful lot of it and everybody doesn't want, I mean, I don't care about soccer scores or, or women's softball scores. Well, if you did, you could I don't care them. about Major League Baseball anymore either, to tell you the truth. But right, anybody that does though is not getting them in the in the daily paper. They're getting them on their phone. They're getting them on an app. Right, right. I mean, as I say, the sports stuff particularly. There's so many outlets for that now. I mean, it's and 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 you get it quicker. I mean, you know, you don't have to. If in the digital edition, they're updating their headlines some, but I mean, you got to wait till four in the morning for news. I mean, I think about that all the time. You know, we uh, I was kind of curious to see what they'd do on a story I did this week that we had first, this UALR East Dem controversy, because the Democrat Gazette's so tied into that. They're, they're an East Dem backer. And, you know, you had to wait, and anybody else cared. I don't know if four people cared about it. I cared because I'd written about it. But you had to wait till four, at least four in the morning before you knew what they had to say about it. And we wrote about it at 1 p.m., the previous afternoon, you know, yeah. 19 hours earlier. So, I told you this earlier. I did career day at Brady Elementary today. Great story. And talked to some fifth graders, and I, I asked if they had any ideas why it's difficult to make money in the newspaper business today. And uh, one uh, young lady said, because only old people read it. <laughs> Great story. That's, yeah. That's, and and, and so, A-plus to that student. Yes. That, that is a distillation of the issue. All right, let's move on to endorsements. What do you have to say? Oh, week? man, I got nothing. Except the strawberries are still good, and because it's such a weird spring, looks like we'll have them for a while. Except that too much rain messes them up. Well, so far they've been pretty good. I Man, well, I had a court last night, and they were, they were good. All right, I need to get on it. Uh, so I recently got introduced to a podcast that's been around for a long time that I guess is really popular um, but I'll, I'll bring it up now because there's going to be an HBO special on Saturday. Uh, the podcast is called uh, My Dad Wrote a Porno, and it is uh, this British, I, I think he's sort of a minor celebrity involved in TV over there, whose actual father wrote an actual pornographic novel under a pseudonym, and it's hilariously awful. And so this guy reads from the novel and then pauses, and he and his friends make fun of it. And it is it is laugh out loud funny as a podcast, and I imagine the HBO special will also be. So uh, it's like a documentary on the podcast? Well, I, th- I think it's more like a comedy special, the HBO thing is. Sounds where, good. Where they're reading and making making fun. Uh, the the book, the books, I guess it's a series. They've done like four um Four series of the podcast, but the I think the book is a series. The main character or the the books are called Belinda Blinked, and there's lots of funny Britishisms all in there, and the writing is just abysmal. <laughs> is his father dead? I don't think so, and I I mean I think that it's it's one of these so bad it's good kind of things that he probably has made his dad gobs of money. It's like a self-published thing. Oh, well, good, good. Well, that's, so, you know, I mean, you always want worrying about your kids making fun of you, you know. <laughs> I've told my son if he writes about me to wait till I'm in the nursing home at least. <laughs> 
All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to your favorite uh, podcast spot. See you around. See you next time.